So how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I so Sunday is actually my cleanup day and my Walmart day, <laughs> my shopping day. Oh, really? What do you sh- like? You know, grocery shopping or just yeah? Kind of I do all kinds of things on Sundays, like laundry, clean up, cook for the week. So it's it's the one day I try to do everything. Uh, okay. I don't know. I'm not very put together. Maybe <laughs> because I went to a boarding house. I really hate routines. You have no idea mm-hmm. how I, you know, fight against it. Mm-hmm. Like, things that I know, like for example, sleep. I refuse to go to bed at a particular, and I know it really you know drives me crazy, affects mm-hmm. my mood and things like that. But I try to avoid routine. I always want to wake up one every day, like leave free in a way. But it's so stupid because you need some boundaries, right? So um, <laughs> I do my laundry anytime. I feel like I need some kind of structure, you know. If not, like because there's me, that's my husband. If there's yeah. no structure, we'll end up um, sleeping every day in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I don't like that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. If I like, for example, with depression, you know, which I've had, you know, some bouts of, one of the things I will ask you is, how what do you sleep like? And most people that are very depressed, you don't sleep well. So we don't have like healthy. We need healthy boundaries. But I'm telling right. you that you know my personality plus boarding house screwed me up because we mm-hmm. we lived such a regimented life for six years. Your bed had to be laid. You had to be dressed <laughs> properly. You had to do things at particular time. Man, you know, my body revolted like for six years. When I got out of school, I was just like, free wheelie. Free Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now, like, you know, I need to start disciplining myself because you cannot live without some form of boundaries. You need boundaries, you know. So, right, right. Yeah. I'm jealous of people like you that have those boundaries, what I'm trying to say. And I would like to be like you when I grow older. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. This is part of what we're t- going to talk about today, the whole yeah. imposter thing. It's all right. a scam i don't these boundary, boundaries don't happen all the time <laughs> you know, these uh, schedules and things like that it doesn't happen all the time so yeah. most of the time i don't have things put together at all like um sometimes i don't i don't do these things sometimes but i i notice that if i don't like prepare for the week on sunday yeah you know somewhere between in the middle of the week like wednesday i feel like oh my goodness i have no food yeah. yeah i have no time to cook food and things yeah. like that so yeah. yeah things just work out better for me when i plan and that's okay. I mean, I'm a, I'm I'm like that for certain things, like for things that I know require some form of um accountability. Like for my job, mm. for example, I'm mm. not scattered brain a job like I work like mm. I'm very organized and detailed. But I just mm. I don't know. I'm just one of those people. I don't know if you watch Friends. You I know? do. Like Monica, she has that closet of uh, junk, but everything but everything <laughs> else looks good. I just feel like this is my Monica life. Like you know. I'm good at some things, but some things I'm just like, don't touch, you know. Right, this this right. is my like, little shrine of shame. Like, you don't get <laughs> But see, I'm good at these other things. Can't you see how wonderful right. I am at these other things, you know? Mm-hmm. But hey, I mean, I think the beauty of growing up is you get to decide, you know, the kind of life you want and mm-hmm. you walk towards that, you know, I'm not going to say perfection, but ways to like develop yourself better. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We haven't even started the show, but then we've started the show. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, I am Marcido, and this is the Marcido Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the Marcible Podcast, the podcast about culture and cultural nomads designed for Blacks and Asians and those who love them. And I'm your host, Marcible, Nigerian-born, yes, educated, Caribbean-speaking, struggling intellectual. Today, I have on the show a fellow, you know, colleague of the trade, 
and a colleague in other areas as well. So her name is Ozzy, and she's a scientist as well. She lives um, in the music city called Nashville, Tennessee, and she's very passionate about so many things, like, like education for the girl child and healthcare. She's actually a scientist, and she works on sarcoidosis. Um, she likes to tell stories. She believes stories are very powerful. In fact, that's one of the reasons she started her podcast. Um, so she's like a researcher a day in the day and a podcaster at night. <laughs> so um, she's trying to find a cure for that rare disease, which is what we connect because I work on rare diseases. So mm. um, and so we're gonna talk about it. That I, I love that. So she has a, a podcast. Her podcast name is "The Tales of an African Princess in American Podcast." other type of podcast and i'd like to um say a shout out to mr kenny you remember him from the show um kenny is um olivia's dad and tutu's husband he the, he did the introduction so i wanted to just show that other thank you so much mr kenny because of you this is happening so everyone join me in welcoming the lovely miss ozzy dr ozzy should i call you dr ozzy for the show or just... uh, you can call me ozzy <laughs> <laughs> well join me welcoming ozzy um to the show and um yay what's up girl <laughs> hi hi mo uh, it's a pleasure to be here Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so we kind of started talking you know, initially just about boundaries and whatnot. And I think it's just a perfect segue to going to, you know, imposter syndrome. Um, so I just want to hear your you know, thoughts on that and just how you, if you've been able to rise above it, like things mm. to kind of help you with that kind of, with that you know, area. Okay. So yeah, thanks for inviting me. Uh, my name is Ozzy again, and I'm really happy to be here. Uh, so imposter syndrome is something that I've definitely dealt with. It's just the feeling that you're a fraud, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like all your achievements and everything that's happened to you is like as a result of luck. And, you you know, I personally find it that I find it difficult to separate m- luck with um, my achievements based on my intellect because I'm also a very lucky person. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm definitely the kind of person that will go to a show or an event. And if it's a raffle draw, I would win something. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah, I'm one of those people. That happens a lot. Because I <laughs> win stuff. Like there could be just my name in the hat and they'll still draw it and my name will soon come out of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know. That definitely happens to me a whole lot. Like, I go to Disneyland, I go to concerts. You know, if there's a raffle draw, as soon as I put my name in it, I definitely will get something. Just to say, like, I don't think, I I don't think I have enough self-control to stop, you know, not liking people. I'll just get it. (laughs) I'm jealous. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, it's been really difficult uh, separating luck from my academic achievements. And so imposter syndrome is something that I've had to struggle with in the past and even recently. But I'm, you know, finding a way around it, and and I'm happy to talk to you about that today. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I've talked about this on my show. One of the episodes I had with Doctor Sanket Shah, mm-hmm. and on paper, you know, we look at his, you know, he's a med, he's an MD, and he also has a PhD in in my field. And we kind of talked about how, and I think the two things here that I see it's most common in women, and then mm-hmm. in people that we call minority, whatever that means. Right, and and I think sometimes it's it's more perceived than real, you know. Hmm. And are there some institutional barriers that might make those kind of thoughts and you know perceptions thrive more? Yes, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes it's basically how we feel, how we feel, and that gets projected into things we do. It's kind of like a virus that just keeps spreading and spreading. And mm-hmm. I didn't even know there was a name for it until I stumbled upon it. You know, when I was in grad school, I'm like. <gasps> Me too. Yeah. You know, the other kind of yeah. Way, you get what I mean. And yeah. And I was like, so there's a name for this. I'm not the only one. And then mm-hmm. at that moment, it made me feel a little bit better. Like I still had to. I mean, I still, I still struggle with it. But mm-hmm. knowing that there was a name for it and I wasn't alone, that made right. me feel like wow. You know, 
Okay, mm-hmm. we don't to have this in conversation. How do we right. identify it? Because I don't think it's anything that goes away. It's just Mm-mm. you might be better at you know dealing with it and you know talking yourself out of the process because it's not as if you're not good on paper. You're probably the reason you have that is because you're successful in so many things. Right. But you haven't let your perception of who you are match up with the reality of who you are. So right. Your thought process will help bridge the gap between those two things. So that's what one of the things I've had to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, like what do we say when we have this kind of problems and who do I talk to? So I've, I've put some people in my life to kind of. Talk me, you know, talk up the talk, talk up the game in, in me, like, oh, you're good at this, you know, you're good at that, and that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I, I have to do that conversation with myself. Sorry, go on. That that's a really good way of dealing with with imposter syndrome for real. Yeah, is yeah. just having people reinforce that and say that you know what, these are things that you're good at. Um, these are things that you're really great at, you know, and you're not getting these things because of luck. When I first, I would say, I first became aware of it right after graduation when I got my PhD. Mm-hmm. And it was time for me to apply for jobs, right? Yeah. And you know, I already told you I'm this lucky person mm-hmm. who goes to, you know, events and I, you know, win raffle draws. But I've also been um, successful with my academics. And I've mm-hmm. also been really good with the things that I've set my, my heart to do. And so when I graduated and I, you know, I told, I spoke to my mentor and I said, I'm looking for a job. And he's like, you know what? I heard about this, you know, opening. Why don't you apply to it? Mm-hmm. I went ahead and applied and the lady called me right away. She's like, oh, I got your application. Let's set up a Skype call, you know, Skype interview. And we set up a Skype interview. We talked about the job and she's like, you know what? Why don't you fly out to Nashville and see if you like it here? Oh. So I flew out to Nashville and, you know, it just, everything just happened, you know? And I remember on the flight back to California, I was thinking it shouldn't be this easy. Is this yeah. luck? Or does yeah. she really like me because of my mentor? Yeah. Or is, it, is she, does she like me because of the quality of my research? Like, what is it about, about this meeting that she really liked? And I remember getting back and talking to my uh, grad school BFF. And I was like, guess what? That interview went really, really well. I don't think, oh. think that she, she's going to hire me because of my mentor. And my friend from grad school was like, no. She said, remember how you stayed up at night, you know, all night reading up her research? You yeah. That's what she does. She's like, you did that, you know, and you prepared for that interview. And she kind of listed the things that I did, which I thought, you know, this is normal. Everyone else is doing that. You know, it's not, it's nothing out of the norm. And so just having people that, you know, reinforce that, you know, you're, it's not about luck. It's just, you prepared for this. So exactly. You should be there. And she's like, even if she gave you the job because of your mentor, yeah. you, you, you know, your mentor is not going to do the job for you. If exactly. you're not good enough, she's going to let you go, you know? And so, yeah, just having people reinforce that you're good at what you do. I feel like that goes a long way. Very true, very true, and um, and I and I think another thing could be, and I I would hate to like you know make this analogy without having to explain it. Mm-hmm. When we go to places where there are not people like us, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you're feeling in that you know people like us, right? Like, a sense of otherness mm-hmm. that can also thrive, you know. So I am in a male-dominated field, you know, with more you know people that are not like me. When I talk about me, I mean African immigrants and you know women and whatever. You know, boxes we're taking these days right not seeing people like you sometimes or even seeing people that can show the process of this is where we were and this is what we've had to build to like get here that can also make it thrive so i also believe in the importance of having mentors so in my position right now i I haven't got to that point of self-determination where i think i have arrived but i still Mm -hmm. have some form of relative importance and influence to keep the door open especially for people that are coming you know behind me to let them know this is one of the things I struggle because I think that sometimes when we get to that point we gloss over all of the success stories and we don't even talk about the process like and the pains we've had to go through it and so when we find people struggling we forget to relate to them so I never want to forget this pain almost like a thorn in my flesh 
Mm-hmm. I think it's a feeling that's always going to keep going, keep, I'll keep having, you know, about being just never really belonging to a place. But I think mm-hmm. sometimes the merit of that is it's, it keeps you humble and it always makes you remember how far you've come, you know. Right. And, and of course, sometimes I, you know, get stuck in my ways and, you know, I'm like a tortoise, I'm buried in it all, like an ostrich, burying my head in the sand and just feeling like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not good at it. And it's so pathetic because I hear myself like, oh, Jesus, not <laughs> <laughs> but then you do good work and every now and then you get someone just email you and like, okay, the other day someone, I reached out to a, a, a person that I saw the article. I did that once in a while when I think that myself and somebody could have, you know, potential collaboration. Mm-hmm. And she, she just got her PhD, by the way. But the way I was mm-hmm. funny over her because she wrote that paper. It was really good and it was, it was tied to a grant I was you know, applying for. And I wanted to just hear more about her process. And she goes right. like, I love your work as well. Like you were so published because you're so published in this area. I was telling my professor about you. So when I got your email, I had to reply immediately because it was like a dream come true to me. But I also was thinking mm-hmm. myself in that regard because I tend to not think about myself that seriously. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and for a moment I'm like, you know what? Because normally me, I'll just you know, gloss it over and that, that could be like a thing of a pride. But I asked him, I'm like, thank you so much for letting me know that. Because we forget that you're really good at what you do for you to be there. Because you can get that job as fast as you think you got it. Mm-hmm. You're not so quick to lose it. Here's why. Yeah, yeah someone yeah. can help you. You can build your network and connections to get that job. But what really matters is how far you're going to last in that job. Like, What are you doing? Are you making all those metrics? Because guess what? You're working your ass off. Excuse my friend. You're doing twice as much to keep that job and probably doing a lot more to prove. Because people like us with imposter syndrome, we tend to overachieve and, in a way, bend our back. So, you right. know, fine, you might get that job easily, but you haven't lost it, right? You're still, mm-hmm. you know, you're still slaying dragons. You're still doing stuff. Right. And I think it's, it's important, something you said about minorities, like, um, just being the only one of your kind mm-hmm. in a certain room, you know, you walk into a room and you feel like, I'm the only... It could be like, I'm the only African in here, or I'm the only, or I'm the only woman in here. And those kind of thoughts can be very intimidating because you're looking around it, you know, you're thinking, am I in the right room? Like, these are awesome people. These are people who are well accomplished. They have grants. They have all these things. Mm-hmm. And then this little old me in here, like, you know, things like that. I find that sometimes even when I get an award, for instance, I, I kind of think about it like, did they was this meant for me? <laughs> like, yeah. is it, is it really, did I really, um, is this something that I did? Is it, what about my work is so good that they, you know, they, they want to give me this award. Exactly. Well, if I write a grant and I get the grant, you know, when I write a grant and submit it, I'm thinking in my head, I'm probably not going to get it. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you not have to do the work. <laughs> right. And if I get it, I'm thinking, why did the other people not get it? You know? Yeah. So it's like, I'm constantly staying at work late. It's not to prove to my boss that I'm, that I'm a good, you know, researcher. No, it's more yeah. to prove to myself that I deserve to be here. Like, it's more to tell myself that, okay, whatever good is coming from this is because of the work that you put into it. And yeah, yeah. I think it's just a psychological thing. I, I, I think it's, you know, it it's is. just it something is. in your head. I mean, it's a little from the environment because some of these thoughts we got from people, you know, mm-hmm. constantly tell you, oh, you're really smart. Um, you know, when you, when people constantly tell you that you're really, really smart, Oh my Over god, time, that, that just, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, so if, like you have to keep performing to that standard, you know, <laughs> right? Right, it's like, um, no, I think people should compliment effort, you know, yeah. over just yeah. mm-hmm. because if you yeah. keep telling people that you're, you know, you're really smart over time, it, it kind of gets old, at least in my own experience, Me it gets too. Old. It's like, Ugh, what's new, <laughs> right? And so, I feel like, okay, mm, everything that's happening to me is just because I'm smart, you know, what yeah. I mean, yeah. so I think 
it's important that we continue to, you know, speak to mentors, talk about it. I think talking about it actually really, really helps yeah, realize that, you know, I'm not alone. I spoke to my mentor a couple of days ago and I was telling her, like, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to apply for this position because this other girl applied for it and she didn't get it. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, your resume and her resume is so different. And I was like, how? And then she goes on to tell me how, you know, all of the things that she thinks about my work. And even as she's telling me these things, I'm probably thinking like, oh, she probably has to say that to me, you know? So it's that constant thing in your head that you're not good enough for the the, the job that you're doing or you're not, um, it's, it's almost like, I'm a fraud. Like they're going to discover that. They're going to discover and then and they take the job off from me. And they keep <laughs> yes. me like, almost like an undercover agent. I don't want to blow up my cover. I don't want to blow up my cover. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but, it's, but it's, just hearing that other people have gone through it. You yes, know, talking about it. That's what I always say. You know, yes. it's, sharing these experiences are really important because you realize that you're not the only one. You're like, not the only one. That's yeah. it. That's mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. it. And even hearing it from people that you look up to. And right. I have professors that, you know, because in my field, you need mentors, you need sponsors, you need all kinds of people on your team to like build it into who you mm-hmm. need to be. Just hearing them talk about the challenges they face, I'm like, you don't look it. And I think to myself, what if people look at me? I don't see that struggle. Right. Know? So I want to keep, I won't tell my grad students. I'm very open about the things, you mm-hmm. know, because I told them that it's okay not to be okay in grad school. It's okay to have those growing pains. You're going right. to always keep struggling with that, but it's okay to know that, you know, you keep doing your best because. One thing about one of the bright things about our bright side of imposter syndrome is that it drives you to work so hard to succeed in spite of your chronic self doubt. Assuming right. you don't burn out first, you know, mm-hmm. and because the first step, you know, to kicking our feelings of inadequacy, maybe recognizing that, you know, where you come from, and you know, talking about them. So mm-hmm. one of the things I did when I started my program as a tenure track as um, professor was to start a group with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember calling my friend; she's in Canada. She also, you know, she was, she got into academia just before I did. And I'm like, we need to have these monthly groups where we just, like, almost like therapy, you know. So we have this thing going on, like hashtags to support ourselves. And our group has grown from two people to six people. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you, I can't even put into words how much that has really helped me, you know, stay grounded and stay focused. Because you realize that wherever, I'm going to different programs, scattered all over. One is in Saudi Arabia, one is in Canada, one mm-hmm. is in Boston. We all have the same struggles, you know. Okay. And just right. talking about it, like you know, academic research, grant writing, whatever, mm-hmm. we all have the same struggles. Right, right. And and, and there's a question I want to ask you. Sure. That imposter syndrome is just uh, really related to your work life. Do you find that you feel that way in other relationships, like not just your work relationships? Do you find that you feel that way in your personal life? Yeah. You know, with certain things. Yeah, I think for me, okay, a little bit of a TMI, and I've talked about this openly. I had daddy issues, you know, and mm. I remember even when my husband and I, like the first few years of marriage, it was really helpful for both of us, more because of me, because I'd come to this point where I didn't des- think I deserved to be loved in a way. I don't know how screwed up that might sound. And so him just being there and so patient and anti everything that I thought, like almost like I wanted to just push him to a corner where he could just say, you know, I'm just going to leave you too crazy for me. But he never mm. did all of that. So, Yes, I struggle with, you know, just that feeling that I was worthy to be loved because that was what the 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 relationship or lack of relationship as far as father-daughter relationship dynamic that I didn't have with my father and how mm-hmm. that molded me into, I mean, there were some insecurities, you know, in that. And that was that was really project magnified in my marriage because I didn't know really how screwed up it was until mm-hmm. I was in this relationship with somebody. So I did struggle with that feeling of somebody just wanted me. And I know sometimes he would say, because my husband, one of the things that really attracted me to him was just how stable he was. 
I didn't mm-hmm. have that stability, emotional stability. Let me be very, mm-hmm. very clear. And he will always keep saying, I choose you, I choose you. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, really? Like, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Oh, like, I'm now the adopted puppy. You just, you know, choose. Like, oh, thank you so much. You this magnificent benefactor. But he keeps mm-hmm. going, no, that it's love. Because love means having to choose somebody. And, you know, mm-hmm. not sticking, not as you are sticking to the choice. But you know you love them, not because of themselves. But you see something in them that they don't see yet. So it took a while mm. for me to really understand that. So yes, I do struggle with that. I try with friends as well. Like try girlfriend, like female friendships. Are you kidding me? You know how we can be happy sometimes and we don't say what we mean and when we just say what we mean, you deem like the bad person because I still had that incident happen recently. So yeah, I mean, work is just a perfect um, example of where that exactly. is modified. But yes, it seeps into other areas of my life. How about you? Right, right. And and, and that you make a, a really valid point. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I, I personally have experienced that issues or any of that, but I will say that when my husband proposed to me, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, when we were dating, I never even thought about marriage. That's a funny thing. And so we're dating. Me too. <laughs> but he and did. then all of a sudden, he's like, he pops the question. You know, we go to this place and he pops the question. And I remember thinking, why? Why do you want to get married? You know, and I would, I said yes. I wouldn't lie to you. I said yeah. yes to him. But over the course of, you know, over, you know, a couple of months, I yeah. would occasionally I'll ask him again. I'm like, why do you really want to get married? Like, yeah. what is, because in my head, I'm just like, why? Why, why me? Yeah. In my head, I'm like, okay, we can date, but, you know, marriage, you must see something. And sometimes when he's talking about me to his friends and I'm right there mm-hmm. and he's telling them all these things that he likes about, well, is he going to wake up one day and realize that, you know, but just realizing that impossible you don't have to be an academic or you don't have uh-uh. to be a head or, uh-uh. or you don't have to be have a phd to experience it you know no it, it, that can happen in your everyday life where yeah. you just you don't feel and like we don't that have person and imagine those that have kids maybe they just maybe their kids are doing like shining so brightly and they're like how do i deserve it like how what did i do to deserve this kind of child you know right and then you start you start looking at your your skills as a mom like i think mm-hmm. there's so many layers of it and even drawing from your experience with your husband you know mm-hmm. We were friends for the longest time, and I was the girl that never wanted to get married. Not because my parents married. I mean, my parents, my mom and my dad, they they were good as far as, you know, I didn't see anything that would really draw, like, you know, repel me from marriage. But I just, I just had this core, you know, beliefs where I wanted to be on my own. You know, my plan was to get a PhD, which I did. I wanted to go to France to, you know, attend the culinary school and mm-hmm. then probably adopt. Marriage was never in the um, options for me. I just never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that girl that dreamed about her wedding day in walking down the aisle. It's still not an accomplishment. I'm, I'm, I call myself lucky to find this person mm-hmm. who wants to spend the rest of their life with me. And right. I still wonder why. Because, you know, right. I have so many quirks. And, I mean, he's not perfect as well. And, and I'm guessing that you don't see marriage as, like, as no, much. No, I always tell people. Right. And, they, and they always keep telling me, oh, because you're married. I'm like, I wish you had met me before I got married. Mm-hmm. I was never that person. I had, I still hold those views. Like, Fine. What you accomplish together, that will be the accomplishments. You keep building, right. you can build an right. empire. You can do stuff. You can, you know, help people to like achieve stuff. That will be an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. What did I accomplish by this person finding me? Did I stand by the world in a particular position in his son? <laughs> you know, or what did he do to find somebody like me? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about marriage itself being an accomplishment, it's not. And I think that was a trap people get into. And they start, you know, wanting to force it. Like I have to be a missus. That's that's gonna be a goal right, for me. Right. Right. You know, that it's is not a, Right, especially with the African background. I don't know if exactly other... of marriageable age. Exactly with women, like you have to be married by this age. Right. If not, you're not deemed. You know, I feel like some people be very good being single. They will probably live a longer, healthier life. 
than being hooked up with the wrong person. So when my husband then, when he saw me the first time, he said he was going to marry me. I laughed in his face like, no. <laughs> like, no, you don't want to. Like, I believe you don't want to. And I remember him telling his twin brother about me. And his twin brother, who's crazy, by the way, told him, run away from that girl. She's crazy. Because <laughs> I had these ideas about what marriage was. Right? I kept asking him. Right. So he, he, he told me he wasn't just going to date me. That he was going to marry me. And I said, mm-hmm. no. So I told him I was going to think about it. But I liked him, so I started dating him. But we went on. We did it for about five years. Why? Because that was how long it took me to decide that, okay, Let's just try this out. And I gave him conditions. I said, the first year of marriage, we're going to try it out. If it doesn't work, we're going to have to divorce. That was me. Oh, you know? wow. And maybe I was, yeah, because I'm a Christian and all that. And maybe I do a lot about marriage and all that. But I just knew it wasn't a dead, die or, you know, like a more die affair. Thank you very much. Right. That wasn't me for me. Because I do mm-hmm. know, I have seen people that have been desperate, that have been stuck in relationships, and they couldn't get out. And I knew that was not going to be me. So I had oh to marry someone that came from that understanding. And of course, he's very conservative when it comes to marriage. Like, he believes that, you know, you can always work out your differences. So mm-hmm. I always had, like, that plan B, like, okay, we should divorce. Like, you know, when we had issues, like, we need to get <laughs> But I've come to, like, you know, grow up from that area. But I still always think that you need to be, I mean, find the right person, yes. But don't think of marriage as an achievement. So, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the main layers of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's not, I want people to get us wrong where we're saying that, oh my God, these ladies are saying that marriage is not, it's not an achievement, you know, it's not, no, we're not saying, yeah. we're, in the context that we're talking about, I think what we're saying is that we don't really define ourselves by the labels no. that we have. No. Instance, I don't define myself by my, you know, my missus status or mm-hmm. my PhD no. or any things. I define myself by the work that I do. So if I'm married, how can we do great things together? Together. Basically? I think that's, that's, that's the purpose of marriage. Yes. Do great things. Yes. yes. Two chasing, you know, I mean, one will chase a thousand and two will chase 10,000, right? Because mm-hmm. together we can build a synergistic relationship to do, to, you know, to progress in a dramatic way. That's mm-hmm. how I say it. Almost like a business investment, but not in that kind of shoddy way. Right. I think we see a lot of things I like. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why Kenny said, I think you guys would be good, you know. And, 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 you know shout out to Kenny. Yes, shout out yes. to Kenny. Thank you so awesome. much. Thank you so much. And and I feel like marriage is also something where you can learn from. Like my husband, for example, he's mm-hmm. very quiet. I am not. I used to be very wild, you know. Wild in the sense that, you know, I had this dream to just travel the world and not really plant, you know, myself somewhere. I, was right. what, I wasn't very, whatever the word as a Nigerian or African, I didn't have that mentality. Mm-hmm. I always thought from a global level, which was very different from what you saw around then. Because I remember mm-hmm. I was telling my mom, you know, I didn't want to have kids. If I had kids, I wanted to adopt and she would keep praying and binding and casting stuff <laughs> in my head. And I just had this really strong opinion about things that I thought were not right. And of course, I got into trouble a lot growing up because I would say things that people didn't want to say. Uh, I was like, who taught you that? You know, you're very, 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 very rude and things like that. So mm-hmm. for him, you know, for me, meeting him and seeing how quiet he was, and not quiet, but calm and very put together and stable, it right. was like a moth. Like, he was he was like fire, and I was like that moth going towards fire. Maybe it was the other way around. But I wanted to just see how it ticked. Like, almost like a clock you hear ticking, like Stella from, you know, Heroes. I wanted to break mm-hmm. it and then see just how it worked and put it together. So there right. was something destructive in me that I know that if I were to move closer to him, it was going to destroy me. Not destroy in the sense of killing me, or build me up, but I was never read, always ready for that lesson. And so mm-hmm. he's taught me a lot about patience. He's taught me a lot about how to be more financially responsible. And mm-hmm. of course, I've taught him some things as well, but I'm not going to tell him things I taught him. Maybe if he comes on the show, you can ask him that. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we've learned from one another. Mm-hmm. There's some areas that I'm very strong, you know, and, and he's not, and we complement one another. That should be marriage. Right. Like, you know, even right. Take, it's building, building yourself up to become 
a better person. I think that's how God wants marriage to be. Mm. You know, right. making us right. into people that, you know, can, um, of course, inherit the kingdom of God and all that, and make heaven, but your spouse should bring you closer to God. I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Um, another thing I, I think it's really, really important, I guess, with this whole imposter syndrome and mm. just dealing with it is, it's learning how to take a compliment. Like, it's, it's <laughs> I have to learn how to take a compliment. Like, someone would, may say to me, just... um, <laughs> you know, I'm also very passionate about fashion. That's something that I've always, you know, that's like the light bulb in my head that has been, you know, turning on since I've been a kid. And, and so I get a lot of compliments with just the way that I put clothes together. But one thing I noticed that, you know, and someone pointed out that, that to me recently mm-hmm. is when you tell me that I look nice or, you know, I like your outfit. I say things like, oh, this old outfit, you know, it's nothing special. I've had this for ages. Or, you know, something, something, you know, this is something old and things you know, like that. You know my friend said to that, that is pride. No, 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 no. There's a bit of pride in it. There's right. a bit of pride where you cannot accept. Comp- it could be pride. It could also be insecurities. Yes. 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 But there's a little bit of both or mostly one of, it the, comes, one of them. It comes a little easy for me. Like, it comes easier for me to match outfits. Yeah. And so I feel like it's not exactly a skill, you know. Yeah. I feel like, why doesn't everyone know how to do this? You but know? it looks good. So, so it's complicated. Why does I cannot do that? Because I don't, I don't have that kind of skills you have. I mean, I can dress well, but I won't call myself a fashion icon, you know. Mm, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so it, it could be my clothes or it could be like I do a presentation and someone says, oh, I really liked your presentation. Yeah. I want to know what exactly about it did you like? But it comes from the fact that I'm very critical about my work, you know, the things that I say. If I if I give a compliment, I'm giving a genuine compliment. And so Me when too. I Me say too. things like, Oh, I liked your your presentation, I'm I'm curious to know which part of it you like, you know. Yeah. And so I you know, learning how to take a compliment, learning that your work is actually awesome. People yeah. actually like it. You yeah. know, you're good like that. You did that, you know. Yeah. Celebrating your own wins is really, really, really important in dealing with imposter syndrome because I we don't, have to push things to the side, especially if we get these awards all the time. I know. And it seems like it comes easy. We don't really right. value it anymore. Right, right. You tend to think that, oh, it's normal, you know. Oh, and, this thing, like, oh, come on. <laughs> that was easy, you know. And why, yeah. I said, why I, said, I wasn't, you know, trying to incident that you're prideful. Why I said pride was because when people compliment us, mm. you know, we maybe sometimes just want to down it down so they won't see, mm. you know, like, oh, point that. Because I don't know if you're like, me. Interesting when people like compliment me, I can spend the whole day just thinking about that compliment. I'm like, right oh, now they're, they're onto this thing. That means I have to keep performing at this level. <laughs> and so it becomes stressful for me. Mm. And, and I don't, okay, another thing would be, I keep thinking about my daddy issues. Um, and I guess I can do that now because, you know, myself and my dad were like, you know, we're good now. Is because you never really get that. I didn't really get a lot of compliments from my dad. And I've talked about it on the show. Mm. So he was that person that I, because my mom was my number one. Like, she was always there. She she would, like, you know, come to everything. She she would praise me. But I never really got that from my dad. So the more my mom did it, the more it just felt obvious that my dad wasn't doing enough of it. So my mm. dad was the one that I wanted to keep performing for so that he could notice me and, you know, just say the words, I'm proud of you. But I never got mm. it. So there's always that, you know, daddy whole size that, you know, I'm still, I mean, God is feeling right now. But, you know, so you learn to perform. Like I was good at performing. I had this mask to always be, you know, perfect, make perfect grades and all that. So mm. now I've learned to just accept compliments as what they are. But maybe because also what I really want people to give me, you know, even when they tell me I loved your episode, you know, I'm like, mm. why? Because when I give feedback, I try to add the why. But sometimes people don't really have the words for the why. They just liked it and maybe they can really articulate themselves. Doesn't mean they don't really like so when people compliment me now, I try to just say, you know, thank you. And right. you know, if you, if I dress now, which I do most of the time, 
my mm-hmm. husband hates that I do this. I'm like, oh, I know. Like, oh, your outfit is nice. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right, right. We're learning, you guys. We're learning how to do that. that. Mm-hmm. But yes, you know, we should learn to um, not like you know always pat ourselves on the back and you know blow our own trumpet. But sometimes you need to acknowledge things you've done because the skill levels you've had, you built yourself up to that moment that makes things easy for you. You don't achieve that overnight. You worked at that ability to be able to perform consistently. Some people don't have that. So that's what is. And I think it's important for people to know that the fact that you're, you're experiencing these feelings means that you're doing something right. Definitely means you're doing something right. Hmm. That you're, you're, you're setting a really high standard for yourself. Yeah. It means that you are, you're, a, you're an achiever, basically. Um, you never want to walk into a room and be the most celebrated person there. You never want to, because then you have something to learn. Mm-hmm. You, know, you always want to have that room for growth. And, but, but then again, set realistic goals because sometimes we set these goals too high that we're working, working, working all the time, you know, trying to attain certain things, but then we're not attaining those things because we're, we're, burnt, we're getting burned out basically. Yeah. 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 And something that you mentioned about, you know, when we're talking about not being able to take a compliment is, um, do you think that it's a, a, a woman thing to do to downplay our achievements? I think so. That? Cause men don't do that. I think the way mothers raise their sons, especially now outside of the world, the neck of the wood. Mm-hmm. There's a way they raise their girls differently. We tend to do right. so, and I don't know if you're the, I'm the only girl. So I, oh. I almost like enslaved myself in a way to take care of my brothers and keep the home. I was like the minimum because you're expected mm. to do that. So they don't see that. But when your brother like does something like really small, there's like, let's throw a party. Let's, it's like a prodigal son has returned home. Let's kill the fight. Let's call it, things like that. <laughs> but men, they know how to give themselves those medals. Like they know how to really reward themselves. But I feel like as women, even as, you know, wives, as mothers, Whatever you fit into that spectrum, we don't tend to right. we don't tend to acknowledge so, so so much we do to like you know keep the world running. And we don't put it, ourselves first. Exactly, and I think women can do that for other women. It's like women that have reached that point of acknowledging that can help other right. women see that as well, see their strengths. Because I know that when women compliment me, I feel a certain way compared to when men compliment me. Like my efforts, right. you know. Because mm-hmm. I know if a woman tells me that's like I tend to want to hear more because I know just how we're being raised and all that we don't really get to hear that so i tend mm. to hope that you know their words you know are more i still value them for example when a male colleague or a counterpart gives me that same compliment right right and yeah. and it's 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 interesting that we're talking about this because uh when i when i first got my job you know i was learning how to negotiate and ask for more and things like that and i was i almost felt guilty for asking for more thank like, you like a thief yeah i felt really bad and then my husband was like no you you shouldn't feel bad when you get a job that's the right thing to do and that's why i think one of the reasons why men get better deals men men get better contracts is they they ask for more they put themselves out there they say these are my strengths you know this is what i'm good at and just that experience going through my first job and trying to navigate through the negotiation process i realized that it's not just Women, minorities don't ask. Minorities. And we don't know from here. Immigrants don't ask for much. Because right. really feel like, oh, they're going to file a green card for me. Whatever you're feeling. Today, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to you. Job. As yeah. I move from a developing country to this new part of the world, mm-hmm. where you're moving up in a way, whatever right. opportunity you're giving, you take it, but you deserve more. And mm-hmm. this is how I was able to, because I had that same problem too. In mm-hmm. fact, I had a job that, you know, I was trying to negotiate a firm, FMV, a fair market value, and right. they wouldn't budge in. And I had the HR, you know, just giving me help for it. And I felt so bad. And I remember talking to a colleague of mine who's white and, you know, from here. She was like, no, no, don't feel that way. I used to work in HR, and their job is just to lowball you. You can't. Right. 
you cannot because as a as an international student and all of that cave into that that is they're, they're robbing you and you're going to go into a place where they have a higher cost of living you're going to mm-hmm. spend all of your you know your salary on trying to like pay for you know rent and all of that you have nothing to save so no ask for more you deserve it mm-hmm. another way so talking to people that are from here and they know the law another is i have male mentors as well because okay. even in our i don't because on the tenure track studies have shown mm-hmm. consistently because the thing about tenure track you decide when you want to go up for promotion so you right. talk right. to chair like i'm ready they found mm-hmm. that women, on average, they hold back themselves like maybe a year or two compared to men. I mean, there mm-hmm. are other factors that, that could be responsible for that. Because, you know, usually during that time, you're at your highest rate of fertility. So people are like, you know, having maternity leave. So mm-hmm. that kind of cuts back. But if you were to hold all of that constant, they found that women weren't so bold enough to approach, you know, their chair about tenure. Because we feel mm-hmm. like we haven't done a lot. They were a man. Like, he's probably not done, you know, an inch of what you've done. And they know how to just, you know, I won't say like inflate, but they know how to talk, you know, package themselves. So find okay. yourself male mentors. Find yourself male, male mentors that, you know, they can see. Well, can women who are really doing well. Exactly. Just, you know, just get a diversity, like whatever that means of opinions. I'm not skin color, but of experience. Mm-hmm. And you should mm-hmm. let them know where you are. It's what you're struggling with. So they can help you see yourself in a better light. Because sometimes I feel like as women, we hold ourselves back. Not because we're doing it purposely, but not because of these barriers we've been, you know, and trust that we've been, we've been, you know, thrown in or barriers that we grew up seeing that we don't get to see ourselves in a different light. Right, right. Yeah, I think you're right. You hit the nail on the head there with mentors. Like mentors, we need mentors for everything. We need mentors. Even with marriage, I find that, you know, I'm constantly talking to people who are who seem to be doing well with marriage just to find out how you guys doing it because i'm not trying to reinvent the wheel i feel like that would take too much exactly (laughs) right i'm trying to figure out how it works you know apply it and keep it moving you know and so i'm constantly talking to people asking them in every area of my life basically how how you make it work i think that's a good way to to move forward yeah it is and if people if you don't know if you can't articulate what your pain point is guess what people can meet you at that point so being vocal about your struggles and about where you need to get to. So I have different kinds of people on my board, like the way I put it, like codifying my network. I have right. a coach, I have a sponsor, I have a mentor, I have a close confidant, I have a point expert, I have these people that can help me. Because I realized that in my profession, you know, your level of success, you know, is th- not just tied to how much work you can do, but mm-hmm. who's going to talk you up, you know, open that door for you, invite yeah. you to the table, pull out a seat for you, set you in front of people that will magnify your brand and what you do and things like that. If you don't have the right people on your, you know, um, your board of directors, whatever that might mean, guess what? Your rate of success is going to really plummet and you're going to be out. So I'm learning, the, I don't want to learn the hard way. I'm learning from people's mistakes as well. But mm-hmm. if you don't get to share all our experiences, we're never going to help the world become a better place. It's for women. So women need to also do more. So we need, we need to be very, very intentional about mentoring you know, those that are coming. And that's why I take this very seriously, especially about girls, like building their confidence. Like confidence was something right. I never really had in so many areas, even though people didn't know that, that I struggled with a lot of stuff. And I'm trying to like share that, like, if I can do it, you can do more than what I'm doing. I'm not you know, end all be all, but I'm trying to share my processes. I'm sure I'm trying to be more transparent to let people know you can do it. You can do it. What are your dreams? How can I, what can I do to help you get there? What are your dreams? Let us put it on paper. How do I help you be the person you want to be? Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that. Um, we've talked a little while about this, but I want to hear about your, your podcast show. So, um, just quickly, what, what, what inspired you? And I've listened to, you know, a couple of years as well. Really good. I like your, you know, style of storytelling and all that, but just in right. simple words, like what inspired you? How long have you started? Uh, so I've had a podcast for a little over a year now. So, yeah. um, well, 
and the inspiration came from listening to other podcasts, I have to say. Which one? I was stuck in traffic. I was always uh, listening to, I listened to a lot of Oprah's podcasts yeah. and um, a few other business podcasts as well. And I was stuck in traffic and I realized that some of the things that I, some of the, the areas that I really wanted to hear about, the podcasters were not really going there. Sure. You know, not all of them, but maybe certain topics. I felt like I really wanted to know a little bit more, just a little bit more. And I wasn't hearing it. And, I, you know, I was like, I'm going to start my own podcast. You know, mm. the things I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about the girl chat because I grew up in an all-female household. Mm. You know, I, I know the, the, the struggles that girls have to go through, especially girls from the African, you know, we Africans have to go through to get an education. Luckily, I, I didn't have that problem. But, I, you know, I saw people around me who had that problem. So I was like, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about healthcare because I work in research. I'm doing research in rare diseases. So yeah. Okay. That's something I'm going to talk about my podcast, you know, and I, I'm doing this because there are lots of things that I never knew about until I started listening and listening yeah. to other people's stories. And I was like, yeah. wow, these stories are out there. People are doing these things. People are talking about these things. And so I decided to create a platform where I invite women, particularly women. So if you notice, yeah, this <laughs> is that. About ninety percent women, yep. Yep. Um, and that's because I'm really passionate about the girl child. I'm passionate about you know all things female, and I really want to give women that platform because I feel like we're we're a couple steps behind in almost every area, and so I want to give women that platform to be able to share their stories and be able to you know give that information so that other people can grow as well. That's what my podcast is really about. That's really good. I like I like that, and mm-hmm. that was also what you know inspired me to start my own podcast. I've been listening to podcasts for you know since 2010. Right, twenty eleven, about eight years now, and mm-hmm. you know, it was good. I never, I never in my life thought I was gonna end up starting one. Like it was, if I had a crystal ball in front of me that shook that, I would have just broken it because I, I didn't <laughs> think I had, you know, what it took. But I think as you, as you're more immersed in the society, you realize that okay, you're never gonna be here in the end. I'm proud of Nigerian, as I, I'm sure you are as well. Mm-hmm. But you find that in these narratives, our stories are missing. And usually, what we hear about Nigeria or even you know African culture as a whole, whatever that, I mean, I just you know very just you know. Shortly done narratives about Africa being a backward place, mm-hmm. and all that. And so, I wanted to start a podcast where we could take back that narrative and tell our stories. Fine, right. Nigeria or Africa as a whole is a continent, by the way. It has more than fifty countries. Everyone <laughs> um, might be might have some of its problems, but then there are people that are doing amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the the beauty about America is pluralism. And guess what? Some of the success we have in America today. And not just because of people that were deemed Americans. It's mm-hmm. everybody putting, you know, their hands together and doing stuff. And guess what? There are Nigerians there. There are Zimbabweans there. There are, you know, South right. Africans there. There are people from all over the world building what we call this American dream. And so why would you think that, you know, Africans are excluded from that narrative? So I wanted to take that back. And so that's why I say my show is about, you know, Africans and Asians, Blacks and Asians and those who love them. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I'm passionate about women. You know, I mean, um, I'm passionate about just, you know, storytelling and connecting humanity. Because right. I feel like when we can share processes, no matter how dirty or how gloomy or how sad it is, we mm-hmm. realize that there's so much that binds us in common. Because whether you're rich or poor, you're left, you're right, you're black or yellow, you're brown, guess what? We all have problems. Right, we, we do. We all have things mm-hmm. to keep us awake at night. We all have a lot of things in common as exactly. well. Exactly. Our problems tie us together. Mm-hmm. And when we sit on the table and we're having a meal and talking about stuff, it doesn't even care where you're affiliated, whether, whether you're left or right or you know, there that. Because those things don't matter. We know that, we acknowledge that, and then we move on. And then we find common grounds on how to, you know, you know, um, what's what, make the world a better place or how to succeed at, you know, this life as an American, as an immigrant in America. So that's right. the purpose of my own show. And I think a lot of that eclipses your ears because I know you talk about mental health issues as well. And mm-hmm. you know, the last time we talked about um, 
credit card, how to do good credit. So I really do recommend mm-hmm. show uh, to people. So for people listening, um, go check out her podcast. I mean, she has a lot. And she's she doesn't talk as long as I do. So thirty minutes, <laughs> and she's done. So if you want a quick, you know, quick fix, but also be like good content, check out her podcast. Mm-hmm. Where can people find the Thank podcast? You so much. Oh, you're welcome. So my podcast is literally everywhere. It's everywhere you can find your podcast. Um, just search for the Tales of an African Princess in America on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher. It's literally everywhere. Spotify. Uh, I also have a website. So if you go to www.talesofanafricanprincessinamerica.com mm-hmm. or if you go on um, Instagram, African Princess in America, you'll find that there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also there as well. You should also check out her. I, I need to come and get Instagram tutorials for you because, girl, you're killing it there. Um, she's very relatable. Oh, like, no. no, seriously. <laughs> no, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm saying that for real. I'm not joking because I love oh, really? it. Yeah, you're so good at that. Like, I need to learn. No, it's, it's just I don't, right, I don't pressure myself too much about you know Instagram. Sometimes I don't have anything to post and yeah. I don't post, you know. Post I mean, I can tell, so can people follow you on Instagram as well and how can you do yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Feel free to follow me if you like my content. Follow. And it's very interesting why I call myself African. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you just, you took the whole cut and it's like, not just a Nigerian one, but guess what? She's an African. Entire Africa. <laughs> She's holding it hostage, you know. <laughs> you know, the other day my mom called me, hi, African princess. And I always fell up with you. This is like, this woman. It's like, is that the name I gave you? My mom yeah. so says Sibyl. I'm like, mom, stop it. Like this is just weird you hear it. Because that's not my government name. You don't need that. Because I know she's just trying to like pull my leg. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So check out her Instagram handle. She has a lot of good stuff and she's also very resourceful. So she shares like links and processes and things like that. And another thing I want to talk about before you quickly before we left or concluded this mm-hmm. little be about your research. So I do rare disease too. I work with lupus patients. Okay. I, yeah, I do. That's my so I have two streams of research. I do prostate mm-hmm. cancer and then cutaneous lupus. It's a rare disease and hmm. there's no cure for it yet. So a lot of the treatments are you know just um, disease modifying in a way. So right, you have to right. deal with the activity of disease. I know you work on uh, muscular disease as well. So yes, say, actually, sarcoidosis. Uh, yes, I mean I, I learned that with my senior gravis in physiology class, but I know the person that died. I'm Bernie Mac. That was when I really came to right, and I just love your advocacy and your heart for it. So yeah, we connect on that. She does rare disease. I don't. I Right. Plus, like more uh, female, uh, isn't isn't there a gender disparity in, in lupus? There is. I said it's starting prostate cancer, which is like male. I know. And I know. Lupus. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I never saw it that way. Look at me. Thank you so much. See, I'm so <laughs> Thank you. So with lupus, it affects you know women like seventy, mm-hmm. 70 to thirty. That's the ratio of female to male. Mm-hmm. And then it affects blacks, like African Americans, more oh, than wow. yeah. I feel like it's yeah, mm-hmm. prostate cancer affects blacks more and they die more, like, you know, more aggressive mm-hmm. forms of disease. And right. then, you know, it affects, you know, um, Africans and blacks, regardless of where you are. So I think mm-hmm. I'm in a disparity business. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's, a, that's, that's amazing because we need to start to understand why these things happen. You I know. know. Even with sarcoidosis that I study, yeah. you know, more, uh, more women than men. And even with the, the women affected, it's more African-American women. That's my goal to find out why, why, why. And, you know, so that eventually we can have these therapeutic measures that will help people with the disease because right now there's no cure. I know. And I don't know maybe yours, because for example, with prostate cancer now. So the tests we have, they're not very, they're tumor specific, but they're not very, um, as, as far as the sensitivity or how I put it, they're not very specific towards um, detecting those that will benefit from it. So 
you could have mm. it could be positive or your PSA could be high, but it could right. be right. And maybe a cancer that will have been indolent. By the time you start prodding and prodding, guess what is going mm-hmm. to become parallel and people will die from it. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes these clinical trials that they do and the the um, measurements or the guidelines that come from those clinical trials. Take for example mm-hmm. the PLC or the prostate lung um, cervix and ovarian trial that was conducted in Europe. They didn't have a lot of blacks enrolled in that clinical trial. So, mm. of course, there's like an understanding of, you know, people that really needed to benefit from the most. Yeah. They came out and they said, you know what, they don't think that test is beneficial. But we do know. Even though mm-hmm. I know the number needed to, to treat, like, in, to save a life, you need to screen like 10,000 people. But mm-hmm. that one life that, you know, is lost because of prostate cancer is one life too many. Because the, yes. the, the, the thing about this is that if you can screen for it in time and detect it in time, your survival rate, like a five-year survival rate, is about 99%. That mm. is perfect as anything. But for that Blackstone, um, by Blacks, I mean generally, you know, you know, they don't even have, like, primary care. There's no continuity of care. Unless right. they're, like, bleeding or they can't get up from the bed before they go to the hospital. They don't take their health seriously. And by the time you start seeing symptoms for prostate cancer, it's almost always too late. Right. You know? Right. And so, so I'm like, we need to do something. We need to be better. Fine, we right. might not trust the healthcare system, but if we can catch some things up, this disease in time, we can live longer and we can be, you know, more productive citizens. So that's one of the things I'm very passionate about. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, early detection and just right. let people know, like, okay, you can make that decision, but if you don't even know that you're at risk of this. And there's some very clear signs. If your father has had prostate cancer, guess what? Your chances of that are high. And mm-hmm. if your father has had prostate cancer, as a woman, your chances for breast cancer is high. Most people mm-hmm. don't know this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we keep living in this, you know, world and then find, um, the bad news drops and guess what it's too late we can't do anything and mm. that you know your family is just destroyed by that so what we're trying to do now is just to make people be more aware of right. that and so doing research and, and things like that and the same thing with lupus i mean it's so horrible it's so so horrible there's so mm. many things we don't, we don't know about lupus we don't know exactly what causes it mm-hmm. we just we just have this you know theory it could be genetic environmental hormonal we don't know why. Like yeah. I know we don't know why. You know, it, it, women are well. Women are the because of the hormonal factors, mm-hmm. but we don't know why it affects more blacks than whites. We don't know, you know, how people can. The progression is so. I mean, you can not truly the past patients are the same. They will present mm-hmm. differently. Um, mm-hmm. So it, there's so much heterogeneity, you know, within the disease. But then uh, we can always try to, you know, at least um, help each other. Like sometimes the history gets lost. So people tell, well, my father died, but we don't know what killed him. They, t- they, t- they said it was cancer. So we don't mm-hmm. even share a lot of tips with our family members. I try for disease that have a, a strong familial factor. So mm-hmm. people don't talk about when they, like, I've, I've heard of cases of people just, maybe a mom or dad dying of something. And the children didn't know. The family didn't know what killed the guy or mm-hmm. what killed the mom because they never said it. More with our culture. I know that culture of you know African culture is always when, having to be strong and be resilient. But sick, right? Yeah, you we can put physically that they're sick, and you, exactly. you ask them, you know, how are you feeling? And you're like, I'm strong. In Jesus' name, yeah, yeah. <gasps> Come on, I know, like, I know, I know. I'm, I'm sure Jesus is really with us, right? Like every time that happens, I can just imagine because Jesus is very sarcastic. He probably was with <laughs> his eyes like, oh yeah, you know. So yeah, right. there's so many multi-layer factors. We can't keep blaming right. the system. Because we haven't done better yeah, ourselves. They, of course, there's it's you know social economic factors as well. Barriers and all of that, you know, yes, um, so that, that, like, the Tuskegee trials and all that. But yes, those, open with your family history. Like, don't hide things because you hurt things. yourself. Don't hide things, and that can social support, especially from your family, can mm-hmm. help you even get better as well. But if you, I understand you want to shield them from bad news, but then if if you're gonna die anyways, like, do you know how mm-hmm. guilty they will feel that you didn't? Mm-hmm. Did, 
you were comfortable enough to tell them about that. So yeah, well, there's so many things we need to work on and advocate for. Because especially in Nigeria, religiosity and fatalism, those two things. Mm. So we may, we need to also maybe do research, conducting, engaging these um, faith you know organizations, the churches, and mosques, and see how we can engage the leaders because people people are quite religious back home, and that could They're be very religious. But I think faith and science need need to converge. Exactly, there needs to be, needs to be a common right. middle ground. Yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with that. Anyways, oh, girl, and, and I I love your podcast as well. I I love that you you yeah. know the topics that you talk about are really things that we need to talk about. And so I love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, you're yeah. amazing. I think we have a lot more in common than I initially thought. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is amazing thank you uh, i definitely am <laughs> glad that i got to meet you and uh, what to more collaborations with you yeah you should bring me on your show i'm putting myself out there shamelessly i want sure, to I, will, I, will. I feel like we have so much in common we can talk we about and we haven't even like but we'll be all this because i'm an onion all these other things you know i was going to ask you one last question but i feel like that's going to lead to a lot of things so i might just save that for my own okay. podcast don't forget it. Write it down. Write it down. <laughs> right, right. It just popped in my head right when we're talking about um, all these things and have to do with gender. And I'm like, yeah, I've really been looking for someone to talk about that with. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a lot to say. And then for mm-hmm. me, find something is my ruffle people's feathers. But know that this is born for my process. I might not always be right. I don't think I'm right about so many things. Mm-hmm. But I have a heart that is willing to learn and listen. Because mm. you know, I don't think anybody's like um, a custodian of truth. You know, there's the truth, no, and there's I don't think my so. truth and your truth. But we right. always stick towards the truth. And right. if I'm not there yet, I want someone to like gently steer me towards that to adjust and calibrate mm-hmm. my compass. But mm-hmm. I, I like talking about stuff. I, I feel like just talking some of your bad ideas out there can mm-hmm. also help you even examine them. Like, oh, that came out. That, that, I have this bias. Like, I'm so horrible in this area. Let me learn. <laughs> But if you keep mm-hmm. shooting people down, be like, you can't say that. Then how do we right. learn? Mm-hmm. You know, so this is what the show is really about. It's, right. to, you know, give people a space to like talk about stuff. So even things that I'm not comfortable talking about, mm-hmm. talk about it and see how we can, you know, uh, progress the conversation and community. <laughs> and move forward. I move forward and progress and, you know, um, be play nice and nice. Anyways, mm-hmm. well, I just want to thank you so much for um, being with me on this wonderful Sunday evening. I really enjoyed talking with you. I, I just love your passion. I love your zeal. I love your beautiful soul. So thanks a lot. And yeah. so, guys, we've talked about so many things. We started with Impulse mm-hmm. Syndrome, about marriage, and um, her podcast as well. Go check it out. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so thank you so much, everyone, for listening. This has been the More Civil Podcast. And if you want to be a guest on the show, don't worry. Um, just email me or find me on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. Well, don't follow me on Instagram. I don't like people that say that. Follow at your <laughs> or follow if you want to follow. But just email me if you want to be on the show to share a story or build community around whatever issue. And you can also email me about your questions. I can read them out on the show. And we can just, you know, talk about stuff. So, yeah. Thank you all and have a wonderful day. Thanks, girl. And so far, so good, though. I thank God, for giving me life today. Everybody say, Ebony, what me, Bunny, what more? Everybody say, Eddie, what come, Eddie, what come more? I can't go back, I can't go more. Eddie, what come, Eddie, what come more? Ebony, what me, Bunny, what more? Eddie, what come, Eddie, what come more? Chai, Odogo, I can't talk. In a portal, I'm bending on number. You change my story, make me rise faster. Eddie boy, I know I can say no. Aye, it's the mobile who monetizes the number. Now every city don't they feel the lumber. Women the most in a UV master. I buy for the law, now I got to know. Aye, I got my Toro Chineke. Ah, ah, oh, oh, oh.